Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. When you shop online at EdenFoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit TheOrganicView.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. In the Beginner's Guide to Growing Heirloom Vegetables, heirloom expert Marie Iannotti explains which varieties are the easiest to grow the tastiest to eat, and how to cultivate each one successfully. So I would like to welcome to the show Marie Iannotti, who's a longtime master gardener, and also she has such a wonderful background. She's a former owner of Your Vegetables, which is an heirloom seedling nursery, and I can't wait to hear about that. And she has been writing all over the United States. She's very accomplished, and today she's going to be talking about a very big subject, which is heirloom vegetables. So good afternoon, Marie, and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. So glad to have you. We have so many questions from the from the chat room already, oh. but before we start discussing all the questions, Marie, can you talk about your background? Now, you're a master gardener, and to be able to do the things that you've been doing, that's basically uh, what every master gardener would like to do at some point, but you actually went out and you did it, and you just continue to write, you continue to inspire and educate people all over the United States. Uh, can you tell our audience about your background? Uh, were you always involved with uh, gardening? Um, did you have uh, the type of childhood like me, up on a farm, doing all sorts of things? <laughs> Not quite. Um, I, I did start gardening very, very early. My, my, par- my grandparents were Italian immigrants, so of course they had a garden. But my dad was a suburban IBMer, and uh, he, we had a very small vegetable patch, but it was one of my chores was to get out there and, and take care of it. And I actually enjoyed that a lot more than um, deadheading petunias. I, I enjoyed growing the vegetables. So I've been doing it for a long time, but it would never, never have dawned on me that I would make a career in, um, in gardening. And, uh, in fact, I, I, have a, you know, I have a degree in theater that I moved into um, computer programming for a long time, and I think that's what did it for me. I couldn't stand being indoors all day, and so I decided to just um, maybe start a business on my own growing things, and that's when I actually went to the Master Gardener program to, to get uh, a, a bit more knowledge in the scientific end, which was kind of funny because I, I eventually went back to the, uh, the instinctual part of gardening rather than more of the scientific end of it. But um, I started originally growing herbs, and then um, uh, from there I started cooking, and um, I think I wrote in my book that my uh, my father was uh, nagging me about the flavor of tomatoes, and I suppose I came to ve- heirloom vegetables the same way so many people did. Um, they lamented not, you know, the taste of tomatoes, especially in winter, and then that word brandywine started getting out there in the in the public, so um, we decided to start growing something that might taste more like the tomato he remembered, and uh, lo and behold, they did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, from I mean, from master gardening, I, I was a master. I've been a master gardener for a couple of decades now, but I it, there wasn't a big program up here. 
mm-hmm. it wasn't uh, well known. I'm um, in the Mid Hudson Valley, from your your neck of the woods, and uh, eventually I, I took over the program and I became a, an ed, uh, co- a cooperative extension educator. And I ran the Master Gardener program for a few wow. years. I ran their hotline, which is if anybody is interested in becoming a Master Gardener, you should go just to work the hotline, and you get all the questions you will ever need to <laughs> hear, you? and you will have such an education from listening to the other gardeners in your county. <laughs> you will learn what happens every <clears throat> season because the same questions come up repeatedly. And, it, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, not to mention the fact that you hear some of the most bizarre questions, and when you're working with the public, especially when you're trying to find a solution <laughs> You also yes. learn how to get the proper information so that you can really help people instead of just, you know, guiding them to a website or just, you know, sending them out some random information. Um, I agree. I think the the hotlines are really so uh, amazing, especially as far as public education is concerned. People actually bring in their plants, their problems, and whatnot. So you you see it firsthand, and you can talk to them one on one. So it's, it's a wonderful resource, and it's a wonderful way to uh, to learn and and uh, educate yourself. Wow! So you actually were the head of the you were the instructor and head of the hotline. That's a lot of responsibility. Uh, well, it, it is, but I mean, you don't do it alone. You have a, a group of volunteers and that are just as, as um, eager and, and enthused as you are. So it, it's a wonderful atmosphere to be in because it, you're, you know, we're all we're all gardeners, so we all know that if somebody else's cucumber got it, we're going to get it. We need to find out what's wrong with it. So uh, we have a, a lot of impetus to, to do the research and dig in there. And who better to write this book? I mean, this is such a great book, especially for people that are interested in growing their own food and are aware of what GMOs are, and especially with the companion technology, the systemic pesticides, uh, this is just perfect timing for this book. How long did it take you to write this? Uh, well, I've been growing them for so long that I, it's hard to say. I wrote the book in about a year's time. I grew them all <laughs> in the one uh, one summer, and I think that was the hardest part of the whole thing, keeping them alive long enough to get the photographs <laughs> and everything else. Um, but it took about a year, uh, I, but I, had, I guess I had done the taste testing for several years beforehand. Now, can you explain to our audience exactly what heirloom vegetables are? Well, it, there's no definitive uh, definition for it. Uh, they're generally speaking, uh, they have to be open pollinated, which means that they're they're not hybrids. They, if you save seed from the plant, you will be able to replant it and get the same plant, provided it hasn't cross pollinated. Um, they're generally supposed to be at least 50 years old, but that's becoming a little bit vague because um, they're. It, it allows for new air new vegetables to be brought into the heirloom uh, category every year. So basically open pollinated, at least 50 years old, and have some kind of a story or history behind them. And again, that's, those lines are getting blurred. The most important thing is that they are open pollinated and someone is saving the seed and passing it along. That's what oh. makes it truly an heirloom. Oh, I have a question. This is coming from Tom Theobald. He wants to know if uh, you have heard of the tomato fest. And if you participate in that, uh, 
Which one? <laughs> uh, there's a big festival on the West Coast. Um, I think it's in Colorado because that's where he's yeah. from. I have not been, no. I've been to small local tomato fests, but not uh, not the one in Colorado. Yeah. Now, another question is... <laughs> Should I? <laughs> oh, you're, you're surrounded by people who, who not only love the land, but love what you do. Another question for you is, in Portland, Oregon, where I used to live, we had an annual apple tasting festival with something like 70 varieties of apples oh. on offer delicious all and with various properties in terms of baking, preserving, etc. How can we encourage more people to move away from the three or four standardized brands of cultivated crops? Well, the festivals are a good way to start. I think it's, that's funny because my, my former moderator was telling me just uh, the other day, he, he said until he started gardening, he thought that the vegetables in the grocery store were what there was, you know, that there were carrots and there were cucumbers and then there was, you know, the... the uh, the iceberg lettuce. He didn't realize that there were so many carrots and so many cucumbers that he could he could grow himself. So until we can, um, you know, actually have people taste them, and I, uh, it, you can't force them to. But thank goodness, restaurants more and more are featuring them. Uh, the festivals are featuring them. We have the county fairs that are are doing them. You have to get people to taste them, and we need to get people to stop saying heirloom tomatoes as if they're all the same. You know, there are thousands of heirloom tomatoes, so call it, you know, call it a Brandywine, call it a Cherokee Purple, call it a, a Miss Lillian, but don't, call, don't just call them heirloom tomatoes so that people can see that there are distinct varieties and they have, they have a choice and they have a humongous choice. So don't, don't settle. <laughs> now, with, um, uh, in regards to that, when uh, a retailer sells what they say is an heirloom tomato. Is there anything by law that mandates uh, a requirement, um, or, or is it just something that they can use loosely? Kind of uh, in the same token that the word uh, sea salt can be used. Sea salt could be anything. Mm-hmm. No, there's nothing. As far as I know, there's nothing that mandates it. And also, just because it's an heirloom doesn't mean it's been grown organically. Um, Good point. Thank you. Uh, you know, it, it, you really need to know your your provider, and the best thing is to grow it yourself. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's um, Joel Saladin, who I'm a very big fan of, and uh, he's been on the show many times. Uh, Joel Saladin has been encouraging people to get to know their farmer, especially since he is an organic farmer. But I think more importantly, when you understand what the farmers grow and what they're capable of growing and to stop this whole demand for these monocultures uh, I think only then do we really appreciate what is grown in our area and just the importation of all these different types of varieties so on and so forth uh, where you don't really know what's going on but when you actually know who your producer is and you know if it's not something that uh, you can buy in your area as Murray said Grow it yourself. Couldn't have said it better. There are there are wonderful seed companies now, and they're they're they keep expanding their uh, their inventory to offer more and more things. I used to like to um, the one of the ways I got to know myself more vegetables was I would pick one each season, and I would just grow as many cucumbers as I could fit. And I don't have a lot of space, but I would grow as many as I could fit so I could taste them all at the same time. And the next year I would do eggplant. 
and then the next year I would do zucchini and that kind of thing so that I could actually sample them on my own. So if anybody is a gardener, um, rather, you know, you want some variety in your garden, but it's a nice way to, to find your own uh, taste uh, favorites. Is there any particular, uh, I guess, reference where you can find out if it's an actual heirloom vegetable as opposed to some new concoction that they've produced in a laboratory? You mean if you're buying seed or if you're buying... Uh, whether it's the seed or the actual plants in a nursery. I mean, is there any type of a reference uh, to find out, okay, is this some type of a new scientific uh, concoction or if this is just uh, well, something... Well, not all heirlooms are terrible. I mean, there is a place in the world for heirlooms. I'm not militant about heir, uh, I'm, I'm hybrids. rather. I'm not militant about heirlooms. But, uh, I mean, if, if you're buying seed, it will. Uh, most catalogs will tell you if you're getting a hybrid and they will tell you if it's an open-pollinated and if it's an heirloom because it's so trendy right now, they will flaunt that. But I don't know of any major resource other than perhaps going to um, uh, Seed Savers Exchange website where they have a, a large yearbook that's um, everybody who saves seeds and trades through the um, exchange. All those, all those varieties are listed, and you would be able to see what they had to say and know that it was an heirloom. Although I also have to say, um, the the heirloom companies are now expanding and, and just promoting open pollinated in general. So as I said, the 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 uh, lines are getting kind of blurry. What do you save a lot of your seeds? What do you do? Do you exchange seeds with other master gardeners? Um, there's been talk about uh, communities creating what's called seed libraries. Right. We have a wonderful seed library up here in the Hudson Valley. Um, I do save some seed. As I said, I don't have a lot of space. And so since I've had to grow so many varieties the past few years, it's not been really feasible for me to keep them separate enough to keep the seed pure. Um, I used to save a lot more seed, and I probably will in the future. But um, it, it's really not hard. It's just a matter of knowing uh, which types of seeds will cross-pollinate and not planting two of the same, you know, two um, lettuces right next to each other. To, uh, to keep them from going to seed. The other thing is that you have to let things go to seed, and you can't eat them. So it's uh, you know you have to discipline yourself not to eat everything in your garden and let some of it go to flower, so you can save the seeds. But um, I uh, I save the seed, and I used to exchange it um, through the Seed Savers Exchange because we didn't have anything locally. But more and more, um, I'm doing it on a smaller scale with just with friends and and what. Actually, if they go to my um, my Practically Gardening website, I'm, I'm offering people some of my rat-tailed radish seeds if they want to just send me their um, mailing address. Just to, 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 Because they're so easy to grow, I thought it would be a nice, and they're so unusual, it would be a nice way to get people involved, to, into their first heirloom vegetable by offering them some of these seeds. And do, do you know what rat's tail is? It's better than it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell us. It's an edible potted radish. You grow it for the seed pods. Um, it was it developed over the years that instead of forming a bulb underground, it's meant to go to seed. And if you've ever grown radishes in the, in summer, you know that they immediately want to go to seed. Uh, so these the the pods themselves take, taste like radishes. They're crunchy, um, but you, they'll keep producing even in high heat. And they I don't think they do, but they say they look like little rat's tails. <laughs> so they got that name. Well, there's um, 
That's uh, that's something that I definitely would have to see. Well, the, I'll send you some. <laughs> is, it, is the full plant edible? Um, I don't think the full. I, I I don't know why not. I mean, the flowers are certainly edible. The pods are edible. If if it forms a bulb, it's edible. But I've, I I the radish leaves tend to get tough, and um, they have a little. They have small hairs on them. I, I'm, it's edible, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's palatable. <laughs> well, when they're when they're young, can you pick them and and put them in a salad as you would? Sure. Uh, yeah. Interesting. And by the way, folks, the website is practicallygardening.com, and that's P-R-A-C-T-I-C-A-L-L-Y-G-A-R-D-E-N-I-N-G.com. Practicallygardening.com. Please visit Marie's site. And um, is there any particular location to find that information? No, because it's really just my blog, so, um, and I just blogged about it just this weekend because I knew I was coming on, so <laughs> Excellent. it should be, still be up there. <laughs> now, now, let me ask you a question. Uh, this past weekend, it's, it was pretty nice out uh, in New York. Mm. Um, what was the first thing that you did? <laughs> I know you were out there. Uh, actually, I, I winter sowed some, I spread some seed earlier this uh, winter to see, you know, of um like lettuce and uh, not lettuce, um, spinach and arugula and some of the cooler crops. And I went out to see if anything had sprouted, and it hadn't. So I was pretty disappointed. And then um, I've been pruning back mostly my berry bushes and my tree, and my apple tree, uh, fruit trees. So I spent a lot of time pruning this weekend. My and what are you going <laughs> to be doing next weekend, especially <laughs> as the temperatures rise? I'm, Getting my cold frame out, I'm a little late on that one. I didn't realize how hot it was going to be. So what I can do now is um, I haven't finished starting the seeds of uh, some of the late later seeds, the um, the cold crops, my kale and my um, broccoli and stuff. So I'm just going to start those right outside, and I'll have the cold frame handy in case I have to cover them up. But that's what I'll be doing. My kale is already up. Um, is it? I actually have I actually have parsley and oddly enough, celery from last year. Wow. Great. I, it was a very warm winter, and I'm grateful I'm not complaining. But uh, with when it comes to the, I guess this is still considered early spring, what do you advise people that are just starting out that obviously don't have your skill set? Say if you're a beginner, where do you begin? Um, make sure you have a spot to plant. Make sure you have uh, you know, your soil cleared. I would say it's kind of a fantasy, for, at least in my area of the world, to think that you can vegetable garden without a fence. You have to have some kind of protection, and um, you need to have decent soil. So if you haven't ever done it, I would spend the early part of the spring uh, tilling in some good compost or, or setting up your compost bin and... Uh, Putting up some kind of fencing to protect your garden, and getting ready because the seedlings and uh, unless you you know if you want to start seed, it's not too late to start seed. There's still plenty of uh, seed packets in the stores, but the seedlings themselves are going to be starting to come out soon. And as far as variety, what should you say if you don't have a green thumb? Say if you basically um, you know have had less than pleasant experiences gardening, but you're determined this year because you want your own organic veggie vegetables. Um, what would you recommend? 
Well, certainly things like um, cucumbers and zucchini that basically take over the world when you plant them. Those are pretty good beginner vegetables. Um, I, it depends on where you are, but for the most part, tomatoes, um, they're easy to grow. They just have a lot of problems, and you need to keep tabs on them. But if you're going to, if this is your first year, I would suggest you go and you, you find a good um, uh, nursery that you trust, and you get a couple of small plants rather than trying to start them from seed. And if you get good, clean plants and um, you, you know, treat them well, they should you should have no problem growing tomatoes unless, of course, you're in, you know, a cool, damp place like the Northwest or something. Then they might not be a beginner vegetable. <laughs> um, lettuces, things you know, things that grow really quickly, um, mm-hmm. lettuces and um, the Swiss chard and um, I guess kale, the the really quick greens, they grow very easily. Oh, is, with the lettuce, how often do you recommend that you reseed? Because usually what I do is uh, every, free, every few weeks I reseed in, uh, in a patch of land that's nearby because yeah, I find right. that the lettuce tends to get very bitter, and then I just let it go seed, and then I just re-sow. Yeah. There's, a, there's a, a handful of plants that you can just succession sow all season. But um, the, for the lettuce, I, in the spring, I'll, I'll only do it every about three weeks or so because it doesn't grow very quickly. But in the summer, um, you have to find like, a shady spot, like behind the tomatoes or something, and keep them well watered, and then you can put it in every couple of weeks because it'll grow a lot quicker in um, warm weather, and it will go bitter a lot quicker in, in warm weather, weather too. But if you buy, you know, if you can... Uh, if you do the cut-and-come-again lettuce, it, it tends to last a little longer. You just cut the larger outer leaves and leave the whole, you know, leave the head intact, and then it just keeps sending up new leaves, and it tends to stay a little bit more tender and sweet longer. Thank you. And what about cucumbers? Do you have any preferences for cucumbers? Uh, I like, um, there's a, a little round one called... Um, What's it? Uh, crystal apple. It's kind of like a, there's a little round um, yellow one that's called a lemon cucumber that's become very popular I've lately. I've seen those, yeah. Yeah, I like those, uh, but they tend to have a lot, um, they tend to get a lot of seeds if you leave them too long, so they're really mm-hmm. nice if you hollow them out and just use them as kind of an edible dish. You put your scoop of um, uh, salad inside of it, and uh, you know that that's fine. But they're not really slices. But there's another one that's that's called crystal apple, and it's a pale, pale green one, and it has less seeds. It's very crisp and very sweet. I like that one a lot. Um, and another question in regards to beans. Mm, my what do you What do you think is probably the uh, safest? route for a new gardener? Should they go with the bush beans, the pole beans? What do you think they should try? I think the safest route would probably be the bush beans because they're another thing that you can succession plant and you can put one uh, put one seeding in, in as soon as it gets the soil is a little bit warmer and you know it's not going to snow and then you can put another one in in two or three weeks so that even if one fails you have another crop coming in. But what I like to do is start with the bush beans because they're fast, and mm. I'll just put the uh, pole beans kind of in back of them, you know, using the same space. So by the p- time the pole beans start producing in midsummer, uh, you know, I've already harvested all my bush beans, and I didn't have to wait. <laughs> now, another question. 
This is from Cheryl. She'd like to know uh, when I buy the cell packs at the nursery, I don't have the room for all these cell packs. Mm-hmm. What do you recommend that I do? Hmm. Um, you can, if you have the space, well, you, if you don't have the space in your garden, I'm, sometimes if you keep them in small containers and they stay small, so they don't bolt, it depends on the variety, you can mm-hmm. even actually hold them over and use them to plant later in the summer when the ones you've initially uh, planted and fed and harvested are, are spent and ready to be taken out. But that's a little bit hard to to, um, to the logistics uh, to get those right. Uh, what I would do is either put them in containers um, or give them away, you know, trade with somebody else. Go. Uh, it's really nice to go, if you know you have limited space and you have friends who have limited space, pull your resources and, you know, go in and take uh, a couple of uh, cucumbers each. I usually do that. Yeah, I, I usually do that with my sister and a few friends. Uh, yeah. We figure out what we want ahead of time, and we each have our uh, assignments, who's buying what, and then we just divvy it up. And It just makes more sense because, I mean, there are some years when I want to grow a lot more than others. I mean, it depends upon what I have going on. But uh, it always happens with the tomatoes. It seems as though I have tons of tomatoes and everything else. I just have, you know, four, to four sometimes just six plants, and but the tomatoes are everywhere. And then uh, when it comes time to harvesting the tomatoes, there's only so much that I can use. And if I'm not canning, then it's like, okay, are you sure nobody wants tomatoes? And, yeah, well, uh, there's always food banks, so you know, you can. Most food banks are, will gladly take things, although when something is in season, they're they're overwhelmed too. But it's the same problem with seeds. You know, you should pull your resources with seeds because most seed packs are, are you know have far more seeds than you will ever be able to use, and they don't remain viable forever. So, how long do the seeds last for? It depends on the on the particular vegetables. I don't really know all of them, but you know, something like onions, they you know they're basically good for a year. And other ones will, if you keep them cool and dark, will last for, you know, about 10 years. But there aren't many that will last that long. Another question. Those should be used within about three years. Yeah. Well, the, the, most seed packs uh, have expiration dates on them, but um, uh, then you have other companies where they say that the seeds are for a particular growing se- season mm-hmm. and they don't, you know, say, you know, anything beyond that. Um, another question from the audience is, for those of us new new to seed saving, are there some rules of thumb you can offer, general do's and don'ts for success? Oh, um, I would say if you're going to just start, don't plant only one variety so that you can um, be sure that they're not cross-pollinating. Make sure you only save seeds from the very best vegetables because the last thing you want to do is save seeds that are you know, going to produce sickly or diseased plants. Um, and if you, uh, uh, if you do uh, manage to save them, make sure you keep them you, by the end of the season before you put them away. You make sure they're absolutely dry to the point of being almost brittle so they don't mold in storage. Yeah, that's really important, the the molding. Uh, I know a lot of people have had that issue. Do you have any 
uh, suggestions that you can offer so that people don't wind up having moldy seeds? Uh, you know, how, how do you dry out your seeds? I just air dry mine. Um, you don't want to put too much heat on them because, you know, it is a, a dormant embryo inside the seed, so you don't want to bake it because that will just kill it. Um, you can put um, salt or something that will absorb moisture into the container with it so that it, the salt will draw the moisture away from the seed itself. But the best thing is just to make sure um, that they're just that they're ready to snap. They don't bend at all when, before you put them into something that is uh, airtight. You can actually use a, a food dehydrator on low, I'm told. I've never tried it, but they say that that's low enough temperature not to harm it. But you couldn't use something with more heat, like even the oven on low would, be too, would bake them. But you just have to be patient. We used to use, we used to take the seeds and we used to spread them out on newspaper. Uh, and uh, usually within, but the next day they would be dry. Uh, just we would just make sure that the any pulp was removed from mm-hmm. the seeds so that they were as neat as possible. Now um, I just had a question in regards to that. Uh, do you recommend washing the seeds before you dry them? I you never don't did. have to. It depends on you know. It depends on what it is. Uh, tomato seeds tend to uh, be a little bit more difficult because they have a growth, inhib- uh, growth inhibitor around them. That's what the pulp is for, and they recommend that you actually um, ferment them to remove that and then dry the seed. But it's it's all going to dry. You know, even if you take you know you take your cucumbers out and they're kind of uh, the, the gelatinous mess, that's going to dry and it's all going to flake right off the seed eventually. So you can do it, you can rinse it off if it makes it easier, or you can clean them off before you store them. So Thank you. Six of one. Another question is, um, are there any heirlooms that are derived or developed with GMOs? And can you also explain the difference between an heirloom and a hybrid? An heirloom is there was open pollinated plants. Open pollinated plants mm-hmm. mean that um, you, the seed from that plant, will grow into the exact same plant. Um, it's, you can open pollinate it. You can. It, it doesn't need anything but nature to be pollinated. It will develop a seed. You plant that seed, and that seed will grow into the exact same plant as the plant you collected the seed from. A hybrid is when they take two different plants, two different tomatoes. They'll take um, a brandywine and a purple Cherokee, and they will cross them. They will intentionally pollinate one plant with uh, pollen from the other plant, and they will get an offspring that is not the same as either of the original plants. It'll have its own characteristics, some from one plant, some from another. That's a hybrid, and it will not... um, the seeds from that resulting plant that doesn't look like either plant parent will produce plants that might not look like anybody. So it's kind of a you know it, it's a, it's a, an unstable cross. Um, all open pollinated and heirloom plants were once hybridized from plants in the wild, but they're stable. That is this. I hope this isn't going too far off into the extension realm here. No, 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 not, not at okay. all. Not at all. <laughs> 
Um, to be an heirloom, technically, as I said, it needs to be at least a 50-year-old open pollinated plant, and it should have some kind of a story behind it. Um, you know, somebody's grandfather handed it down to them. Someone um, brought the seed with them from uh, when they came over from Italy because it was the tomato that they were used to eating, and they passed it over to their neighbor. That would be a story. Um, so to be an heirloom just means that it has to be open pollinated. It should be at least 50 years old, and there should be some kind of history related to it. So it has um, some. That's the heirloom quality of it. Um, the GMOs. Well, that, that just doesn't. You know, they. You could genetically modify anything, I suppose, but it wouldn't be sold as an heirloom. It would then be a GMO. So. I don't think there should be any fear that if somebody's selling heirloom plants that they have uh, something that's uh, genetically modified. Yeah, yeah, well, the GMO companies are very, um, uh, you know, proprietary, so they're not going very to... Very protective. They won't, you won't see people swapping seeds of a GMO. Yeah, especially, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, next question, how many seed companies are there that you recommend for people seeking heirloom vegetables? Are there oh, more tons of more. companies out there? There are more and more and more. Um, it's just because it's a very, it's a growing community, and as people start to save seed and get more interested, that they start to form their own companies. One of the biggest companies out there right now started that way. It's just a young guy. Uh, he formed Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds in um, Arkansas, I think it is, and um, he started because he just started saving seed, and it, it grew from a hobby to uh, a business. So there are there are more and more that are opening up, and um, they're very they're all very um, uh, their integrity is good, their their intentions are good, and they they're truly trying to sell quality seeds and keep the um, heirloom uh, vegetables out there and being grown because that's the whole point. This is not you know they're not like um, furniture you know it does, they don't become valuable if you put them behind a glass case. You you have to they have to be grown. If they're not grown, they will disappear. So uh, that's the big difference between heirloom vegetables and any other kind of valuable heirloom is that they must be used. Thank you. Now the next question is, you'd think heirlooms, uh, now that I understand them, would always be enormously popular. Why are they so trendy now? Yeah, um, because we have more small growers, because we have more um, celebrity chefs, uh, people always grew them, but you, they're not—they're not—you um, mass—they can't be mass-produced. They—they don't travel well. They don't store well. They don't—you can't keep them on a grocery shelf. Um, they don't always look perfect. So people who are used to seeing unblemished-only fruits in the uh, grocery store would walk past them. So it's something that you have to—you know—you have to eat immediately, and it, it, you need a smaller market for it. But isn't, isn't it true that the heirlooms taste better? Well, that depends. I mean, there 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 are perfectly good hybrids out there, and I and I don't mean to dismiss them, but um, there is more variety. Let's say there's more variety. Um, I think anything tastes better if you if it's grown uh, by you know, with if you eat it within days of it being harvested. Let's put it that way. Anything is better. It tastes better fresh. But there's just so much more variety in the heirlooms, and they haven't been bred for the things that I just said. Their tomatoes have been bred to travel well, 
and so they have a tough skin. Heirlooms weren't bred for that. They have very soft skins. They, you know, they will crack if you try to mass produce them. But they're very juicy and tender, in which you won't get in a, in a tomato that has been uh, bred for mass production. You, uh, carrots are bred to grow uniformly, so you might get some ugly carrots, but they will be sweet and they will, you know, they'll be earthy. So yes, in that sense, yes, they, they because they haven't been messed with to, to look pretty or to last a long time at the, in the grocery store, they will have uh, flavors that you probably will not experience. Uh, in, to me, in, I think uh, that's that's what, it, what it's all about when the flavor. Uh, and by the way, uh, comment from the audience: can't wait to see you on the Food Network with your celebrity chef show. Um, oh dear! Did I insult someone? <laughs> <laughs> but with, with the with the heirloom vegetables, I mean, the bottom line is taste. And let's face it, uh, all of these all of these fruits and vegetables that are they are produced so that they will be shelf stable, so that they will be able to travel far distances and uh, give the Appearance that they are supposed to just melt in your mouth in your mouth the minute that you eat them, and then unfortunately your taste buds are not to be reckoned with. They they know the difference between what real flavor is and something that gives that appearance. Uh, and same thing with tomatoes. I mean, I think especially since you're of Italian descent, you can appreciate this. When it comes to tomatoes, there's nothing like the smell of a freshly picked tomato from your own garden. Just the smell the of the vines. <laughs> exactly. See, <laughs> now you're talking. The smell of that tomato, just the vine, just the, the the trace of the essential oil on your fingertips after picking it that just stays with you. To me, that's what air freshener, an air freshener should be. <laughs> Not this Febreze and all this other garbage that they, they put on the markets. But, I mean, you go out to, to any garden where uh you could tell that there's a lot of love on on that property and you could see that uh there's just so much life and the mm. flavor i mean I, I can't i can't recall how many times exactly people have gone through my garden just picking the vegetables as though you know as though it's uh, some type of walking uh free food tour but i've had people do it's it where, far, yes oh yeah they they just walk through the garden and uh, help themselves. Usually I don't mind, but when it comes to my figs, that's where I draw the line. Touch oh, my yeah, figs. figs. Okay. I'll demand We're a kidney forewarned. or something. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, all kidding aside, figs, can't touch the figs. Anything but the figs, you know. But okay, we've been warned. Yes. <laughs> Another comment. Scent is, oh, scent is part of tasting. So I mean, if you can, you should be able to smell. You know, you're, you'll you'll smell your tomatoes when you walk up to the garden, and you go into a store, and you really have to put your nose right into it to to get anything out of the some of the produce that they're selling today. It's interesting. My sister once told me years ago uh, that she could not buy cucumbers from the store. She felt like she was cheating on her garden. <laughs> she just could not eat them, and it's interesting to see that many people will not buy uh, fruits and vegetables that are that are not in season. If um, they can't grow it themselves, they'll buy it if it's produced locally, organically, of course. But they won't buy it off season, especially if it's imported or you know they, they don't know where the source is. It um, used to be a treat, you know. It used to be a treat to, to 
you couldn't always get them in the winter. So when we finally could, it was a big deal. But then, you know, you started to realize, oh, wait a minute, it's not that good after all. Or maybe they just kept getting worse and worse. I don't know. But uh, I, I think a lot of people have, you know, just said, you know, I, I can wait. I can wait till spring rather than uh, eat the lesser. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that there are more people out there that are recognizing the fact that when the local organic farmers who are competing for that shelf space with farms that are in faraway places, not to mention the fact that when the produce is imported, uh, case in point with the organic citrus problem that's going on in Florida. I just had Matt McLean on from Uncle Matt's Organics. He's also the president of the board of directors for the Organic Trade Association. He was talking about the psyllid issue, uh, which they believe has was caused by the importation of citrus from, I do believe it was South America, and now they have this major crisis on their hands. And if more people just took a position and said, you know something, uh, we consciously cannot demand citrus that is not grown on our soil here in America and And the irony is, is that Florida citrus is the best in the world. Why would you want to import something that's inferior? That just makes mm-hmm. no sense. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna buy food, you would want to buy the best that's available, not the cheapest that has, you know, you don't even know what it's what con- what growing conditions it's. It's um, being produced in, you know. You would think, but that's why the consumers. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say that's why the the consumers really need to make a stand and say, okay, well, this is what this demand is causing, and more people are are taking that responsibility, and they're saying, you know what, we don't want it. They're communicating that to the retailers, and in essence, uh, more people are saying, you know, enough is enough. Yeah, I think they are. That's why you're starting to see so much more variety and uh, so many uh, large grocery stores who are now actually buying from the small local farmers in the summer and, uh, you know, bringing that into their markets because they know people are looking for it. It's about time, you know. And what's also nice is I'm seeing a lot of people uh, in the summertime They'll have roadside stands that they put up, or they'll you'll see signs on um, a road that will say, you know, Garden Fresh Vegetables with a sign. And I think that's fantastic. I mean, you don't have to live in the country to be able to buy locally grown organic vegetables. I think it's great mm-hmm. that more and more people are starting to do that. And, you know, uh, for what it's worth, it's a nice way to generate a little extra cash. Yeah, and you always have more than you need. so Exactly. Exactly. Now, another question we have is, some heirlooms were saved for specific reasons. Someone loved to can, someone else had a root cellar, so they wanted crops to stock that. Are there published histories recording some of these stories? Hmm. Um, I don't know of anything that's that's all in one place. There there are a lot of great books out there, but um, I think they're just starting to... Mostly, most of the heirloom gardening books have centered around gardeners and what would you like to grow and why you would like to grow it. And a lot, a lot of vegetables are regional. So you know, just because uh, you know a vegetable grows is delicious doesn't mean that it's going to grow in your neighborhood. So I think most more books are written about um, 
the varieties you should try and grow, and, and they really haven't focused on the stories. In fact, a lot of the stories have gotten lost, and and with them, the you know uh, the actual because so few people canned, and, and no one cared enough to uh, to perpetuate that knowledge. And so I don't have any resource for it to offer you for that. No, there may be something out there, but not that I've seen. Thank you. Next question has to do with corn. Um, this next question is. There's so many different varieties of corn. What do you think is the sweetest and probably the easiest for a beginner to grow? That's a tough one because, uh, quite honestly, that's where uh, hybrids tend to excel. Um, there's a thing called hybrid, um, oh, God, I forgot the expression, hybrid vigor. Uh, for some reason, when uh, the first generation, the first cross of a hybrid in corn grows better and they're uh, they're bred to be sweeter than the heirloom corns and we've kind of lost the taste of actual corn corn is a grain it's not you know not meant to be sugary sweet the way we've come to enjoy it in recent years Mm -hmm. it it should have more of a starchy flavor to it um so if you really want sweet corn you're not going to be very happy probably with with most of the um heirlooms um i do What's the one I like to recommend? Give me a second. <laughs> sure. Are there also any type of popcorn uh, uh-huh. corns that you would recommend while you're? There are several popcorns, and it is better for the for the popcorns. I've, in my book, I wrote about um, Ladyfinger, which is um, an interesting one. It's tiny, but it doesn't have a hull. So if you don't like getting all those hulls stuck in your teeth. It, it has a hull, or it would fall apart, but it's very tender. Mm. So it, it, it cr- the corn itself crunches, but there is none of that um, uh, the stuff that you can't quite chew up and it gets caught. And I, I like that one. Um, oh, I know what I was thinking of. This uh, corn called Stoll's Evergreen, which is it's very sweet. Um, not very sweet. It's very sweet as uh, true corns go. It has uh, it's a Nice blend of sugary and grain. Now, isn't that a, a late season corn? If late I'm not mistaken. Uh, it takes about um, I don't know about three months. So yeah, I guess that's late season. I don't grow. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't grow a lot of corn because it's the crop that everyone up here grows. That I can just kind of reach out my window and <laughs> <laughs> get it. So I, I think I need to go and uh, visit you and reach out your window too. <laughs> Nothing um, like but it, yeah, it takes up a lot of space. So if, if you know, that's something I always tell people. If, if you're, if you have fantastic farmers growing something in abundance near you, and you have to make a decision, buy from them and and save your space for something else. But corn is a tough one because it, it's um, it's a space hog. It takes a long time to to finish growing. You need a lot of them because they they're pollinated by wind, so they have to they need to get. Um, bang into each other almost in order to get any kernel, the kernels to fill out. And then there's the squirrels and uh, assorted <laughs> other animals that will take it before you. The critters. Yeah. is they there... decline it. <laughs> oh, exactly. Now, isn't there one, I think it's called strawberry popcorn. Mm-hmm. Is that is that the one that I'm thinking of? The one, they used to use it for decorations, but you could also pop it. I mean, it's been a long time, but I just remember that one. Uh, it, you can pop it. It's very. It's a small ear. It's not quite as small as a strawberry, but it is red. It turns white when it pops and inverts. But I. I don't know. I think it's 
prettier than it is tasty. Uh, so it, that's why they use it. That's why they're willing to sacrifice it for decoration. Mm. But it's an interest. It's fun if you're going to grow with kids or something. That's a nice one to try. Are there any other types of corn that you would recommend for uh, decor, especially with the the fall harvest? Because I remember that was a very big thing growing up. Uh, just everything from making wreaths to dolls. Uh, there were just so many different things that you could do with the corn, and it was just so incredibly pretty. I mean, it was just in its, you know, in its basic form. You know, nothing nothing really extravagant uh, was done to it. It just looked so beautiful just as is. And I just remember that that was just so popular. Um, I know that there were a couple of other varieties, but <clears throat> is there anything else that you can recall as far as the... I, can, uh, I remember, well, as far as the ornamental corn, there's one called um, a Mandan Bride that's... Um, I, I, I think it's also a long-season corn. I haven't seen it grown in a long time. But it, it gives you a lot, a lot of different colors. I'll give you that. Um, there's a one called Rainbow, uh, Rain, Rainbow, Rainbow Sweet Inca that um, is uh, another uh, kind of uh, rainbow, obviously, of colors that would be nice mm. for decorations. And you can eat that one. It's uh, the Rainbow Sweet Inca. Also has a decent flavor. It's not just ornamental because a lot of them, you know, they they, they were bred to be yellow and they were bred to be white. They, mm. The corn used to be multicolored. So, and the kids get a kick out of it. So especially if you're trying to get your kids to eat healthier, um, and you're giving them corn that you know has all these. Uh, crazy colors. Kids seem to get very amused by that. I don't know why, but they're just fascinated by things that are just different. It's almost yeah. like, oh, look what I'm eating. And uh, then, you now once you get one one of them going, then the others have to compete. And then all of a sudden, they are just these. Um, it's like they're on a mission to find the most uh, odd-looking food possible that mm -hmm. has not been altered or uh, is chalk-filled with uh, chemicals. I mean, kids today are really something. They really get the whole um, issue with all the additives, preser preservatives, and just all the different things that have been done to food, and they don't want it, you know? Yeah. We have to get them early. If, if you can get them to actually taste uh, some, you know, there's, there's a lot of sweet vegetables out there for you to get, you know, kids you don't have to start them on a piece of broccoli. You could start them on a beet. If they don't know what a beet is, they're going to love it because they're very sweet. And uh, they come in a lot of colors and swirls and whatnot. So uh, you can get, um, you know, red carrots and purple carrots and uh, speckled beans and you know, things that, that are fun. You know? Yeah, actually, it's interesting that you mentioned the, what was it, the purple carrots? Yeah. Uh, I think I said something um, something with purple carrots on the Food Network's Chopped, and it's just kind of interesting how they're starting to also incorporate some of these vegetables. Well, that's what I'm, I didn't there. mean to, to diss celebrity chefs. What I meant was that now that we're watching so many of them and we're following these people, 
they're looking for better. They have an op, they have a, a venue to introduce us to different ingredients, and um, so they're working hand in hand actually with some of the local farmers. And so it is a great introduction for vegetables that wouldn't ordinarily get any any shelf exposure. Well, there's there are a number of celebrity chefs that are actually giving back to the community, like uh, Mario Batali. He has a garden at uh, in the children's garden the children's section at the New York Botanical Garden. And uh, that's just, it's magnificent. Um, and it's just great that people that are in the spotlight, such as Mario, are doing things like that. And, you know, uh, pretty soon we'll see Marie's section at the New York Botanical Garden. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> you know. Uh, another question from the audience. Um, I love to make salsa, and I would like to grow peppers this year. Uh, but I have no idea where to start. Which varieties do you recommend? That depends on how hot you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, you know, people. They, I will tell you that if you you know you've had peppers before and you purchase them, growing them yourself, they will be that much hotter, generally speaking. And um, the one thing nice thing about hot peppers is that if you squeeze them together and, and, and make them, you know, abuse them as plants, they will produce even more and they will be even hotter than they would normally. Um, there are a whole bunch of habanero-like um, plants, uh, peppers rather. Um, uh, my favorite is called fatali because um, it doesn't just have heat. It has a kind of smoky flavor, uh, but it is extremely, extremely hot. Um, I would recommend starting with some of the the lesser um, hot ones, the Serranos. Um, but again, it depends. I, I, I hesitate to, to make resident recommendations at all because I'm, I love hot. It's one of the things that I started going with. I love hot peppers. but uh, And I have an asbestos stomach, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I have to be, use caution when I recommend things to people. Um, well, with the peppers, what I find is um, I, I tend to grow a fairly decent variety of peppers just because I like um, I just like the flexibility sometimes I want to make something that's hot sometimes I just want something that I can put in a salad uh, sometimes I just want to make chili um, depends upon what I'm looking to make but yeah. I think that if you have a good you know mix it up a little bit uh, depending upon what you're looking to do I mean if you know that your sole purpose is to make salsa, whatever recipe you're going to use, then, uh, you know, obviously incorporate more of the hot peppers. But um, if you're not too sure, just, you know, a little bit of each can't hurt. And peppers, they're so easy to grow. Uh, yeah. And I think they're such a hearty vegetable. And what's nice about them is, is that uh, you can always freeze them if you grow too many. I mean, peppers are just fantastic uh, I've I've actually made chili that I've frozen. Um, I've taken peppers and I've also oven roasted my peppers. And oven roasted peppers usually don't last too long in my house. Uh, yeah, usually yeah. they're one of the first to go. <laughs> Just but make them for. Go ahead. I was going to say they they really don't last past the one. You get them as soon as they cool off enough to eat. But. Yeah. <laughs> Now, uh, we have another question from the audience. Are heirloom seeds really expensive? Can Marie give us the name of the website she recommended at the beginning of the show for ordering seeds? 
no, they're no more expensive than other seeds. In fact, they're probably less expensive than many because um, the companies that make their own hybrids, uh, they, they are starting to patent them, and they will charge you more for those seeds, whereas these seeds are, are grown and, and collected and saved uh, without any intermediary or any uh, extra work. So they tend to be a little bit cheaper. I'm not sure which one I mentioned. Did I, the Seed Savers Exchange? I think that was definitely savers.org. Is that it? Yes. Yes, seedsavers.org. And um, I would also, another large company is um, the Baker's Creek that I talked about, and their uh, website is Rare Seeds, R-A-R-E-S-E-E-D-S.com. Yes, Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds, 1,400 Heirloom Garden Seeds. Wow. And how do you feel about uh, exchanging seeds on Craigslist? How has that worked for you? I've never done that. Um, I don't. I've never done anything on Craigslist. <laughs> well, I've seen I've seen people advertise that they have seeds that they're looking to swap. I've seen that also with uh, FreeCycle.org. I've seen that actually more on FreeCycle, uh, where yeah. people will say, "Hey, you know, I have this, this, and this." Um, you know, I'd any like any seed this. exchange is going to be on faith. You know, it doesn't matter where it is, even if it's through Seed Savers, they're not policing everyone. You'll find out quick enough if you got uh, decent seed. But um, it's all on faith. So, just out of curiosity, does the local co- cooperative extension have any uh, handouts or anything like that for the local regions? For as far uh, as uh, just obtaining seeds from any of these organizations or anything like that, or is that just uh, you know a matter of just googling it to find? Yeah, they, they, that would depend on each office, and I don't think that they um, they don't because they don't have the staff to keep it up, to keep it current. Yeah. I don't think that they would do that. They are doing that any longer now. Uh, the best thing is to Google it, find um, or talk to uh, an organic grower, maybe ask them you know, with, with who the go-to source is, um, if you can find a, a seed library. But there aren't that many. Start one. Mm. Oh, Marie, uh, now that you have the Beginner's Guide to Growing Heirloom Vegetables, what is your next book going to be? I know I'm adding the pressure. <laughs> I'm actually probably going to write something on on uh, the whole cycle of vegetable gardening for uh, how what to do when and, and uh, how to manage your year and keep yourself uh, in crops. I expect that that's going to be out sometime within the year. Uh, probably the beginning of next year, but you know we try and go with the this, this season and hit people when they're ready to garden. <laughs> Fantastic. And Marie, uh, can you just tell our audience what your website is once again? Practicallygardening.com. Thank you. Marie, thank you so much for coming on the show thank today. You. I it enjoyed has been it. wonderful having you on and just telling people how they can get out there and begin doing their part to not only grow their own food, but uh, also care for the environment and uh, live healthier. So, folks, uh, please pick up a copy of The Beginner's Guide to Growing Heirloom Vegetables, and her website is practicallygardening.com. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. 